good morning or good afternoon or good evening depending on when you're listening to this whatever time it is thank you very much for tuning into the new and improved podcast i'm your host albert and you guys have been pretty lucky so far that i have not promoted anything other than just my guests so for the next few podcasts i'm going to start mentioning this one challenge i've been selected to be a part of it's called the sanctum survivor challenge where it's a 36 hour challenge for 10 of us to live on the streets with nothing no money no food and see what it's like to be a marginalized member of society especially on the homeless side and this is a 36 hour challenge that i'm looking forward to doing i have to raise twenty thousand dollars and all of this goes to a very important group called the sanctum group and you know i was trying to think of how to describe them but i'm just going to read off their website what this group is to give them a shout out because what they're doing is is wildly important to our province Sanctum is Saskatchewan's first hospice with respite and supportive care for people living with and affected by HIV AIDS. And I knew you might ask, what does respite care mean? So I had to Google it myself too. And respite actually just means a short period of rest or relief from something difficult or unpleasant. And that's exactly what this place was. I took a tour of the facility there on Monday and was kind of blown away by where it was. It was tucked away on Avenue O, just right by the hospital. And you you just realize that they are the most marginalized people here and all deserve uh, a good quality of life. So um, hopefully um, you will follow along and support my efforts in raising awareness and money for the Sanctum Group. So now back to why you're tuning in, because you all are tuned in to talk a little bit about cars, cars. That's right. Yeah. So in order to talk about the whole world of cars, I thought I'd bring on Dan Robinson, uh, a seasoned vet from Toronto who spent probably about 30 plus years in the car industry selling Hondas, Toyotas and managing dealerships like Porsche, Porsche, not Porsche, not Porsche. I guess it's German, so it's Porsche. And I brought him on because I was really curious and I wanted him to give us a scathing tell-all about the entire industry of car sales. And he did, a bit. And uh, I think he was really fair. He ended up talking about how the industry has changed so much since the 80s, so the stigma is a little bit gone, and how the power is in the consumer's hands. But I still pushed him to try to tell us how to buy a car, what to look for. Um, So if you've ever bought a car or you're new to buying a car and you want to know some inside tips from somebody who's worked a very long time, he's no longer part of the uh, in the dealership world, but he sells to the dealership world with his new social media platforms that he's developed, which he talks about as well, which is really interesting from my perspective as a person who works in that industry. But uh, anyways, I want you guys to be the judge. Do you think he's telling the truth? Do you think uh, there's more about the industry that we don't know? Um, He really goes in depth and talks about some of the margins that exist in the car industry uh, or what cars he would buy even. But there are some good nuggets and some good tips in there, personally, I think, that I learned. Uh, So you guys let me know if you find this useful. But uh, he's an entertaining guy, uh, a real gem to have on the show. And I hope you guys enjoy my talk with Dan Robinson. Take it easy. Check, check. You got yours? Check, yep. Okay, well, Dan, the man, Robinson. 
thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, Albert. That's awesome. Um, you have the record now for being the earliest recorded podcast on You <laughs> Improved, and you're dressed in a suit on a Sunday really, morning. On a Sunday yeah, morning. This, I cut the grass like this. I was. This is. Uh, is that how this you is my look? Is yeah. that how you dress like all pretty the time? Much. Pretty you, much. You don't have like a sweatpant look. No, I don't really. I got a kind of a Lululemon look. Okay. And you didn't I'll, I'll, Sunday I'll be, morning? I'll be sporting those after my juice cleanse next week. Yeah, juice cleanse. And is that because you're like now like oldest time that you need to do the juice cleanse? I don't know. Amy's, Amy's got, got uh, has plans for lots of activities for this summer. So I think with the nice weather, it just means that you got to go. Have you go. done a juice cleanse before? I have, actually. I did one. It's probably a, a year ago now. And I was very surprised. I lost 16 pounds in five days. So it's just, you're just drinking like You're just drinking juice, yeah. They've got, I think we're doing this one through, I'll plug the Freshie downtown here. They they're, they they sell you the actual content of your entire cleanse for the week or two weeks or however long you're doing it. Last one we did through Thrive. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's, and all of them are different. A lot of them have like, there's some with charcoal in them. There's some with like, I don't know, it's crazy. They, you don't, they, they don't taste great. And you don't eat solid food. You don't eat solid so food. So it's babies, like, how's... Lots of water. Well, how's it? How's your bowel movement like with something? Um, After about the third day, um, you have no idea what starts coming out of your body. It's crazy. Is it like a? It's a detoxifying uh, experience. But is it like? Can you have like a solid poop? I'm gonna say no. It's 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 like a liquid. Oh, dude, it's it's explosive. It you are freckling the bowl every time you go in there. (laughs) (laughs) And that's for like five days. Or well, yeah, we're going to do it longer this time. This is going to be like a 10-day cleanse. Wow. The, the worst part for me, I think, is the drinking. Because, I mean, I, I've, I've been known to put, put back yeah. the odd glass of wine or beer, and there's no drinking through this whole thing. So that's it's that's the withdrawal part of it, where you're just not even having a uh, social it'd be, cocktail. It'd be the food for me. Would it? Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't be able to do it. I don't... But maybe I should try maybe a day just to see how... I've never even gone a day without eating I, like, I think you got to go meat. three at very least to get... To get sort of the detoxifying experience, where uh-huh. where your body actually starts to um, change, yeah, and it does too. The crazy thing is, and the last time I, I I experienced this, where after about four 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 or five days, your your eyesight actually gets sharper, and what? yeah, it's crazy that that you start seeing better. And they say that that's because like eons old, your your genetics. If you're hungry. Your your eyes your eyesight will get better because we're hunters, right? I mean, yeah. we're it, 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 at our core, we're hunters. So, it, it it your body will improve eyesight so that you can start seeing game out there to isn't, eat. Man, isn't it super funny that like our bodies tuned to this whole hunter gather kind of Cro Magnon yeah, totally. caveman thing? Uh huh. But those skills are so useless for us now. It, hey, we're yeah. like office guys working on Excel, but yet for some reason our body's telling us to do certain things like go kill. Right on. But now we're just like going to We go sit upright against the bar and order drinks. Exactly. That's what yeah. we do. And watch like, you know, Elton <laughs> Netflix. John comes down to, yeah. to town. Oh, man. This is cool. And you you recently turned 50. Oh, no. That was a little while ago. Sorry. Yeah. I, 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 what are I, you I turned I turned 54 last week. Man, I remember like when you turned 50 because yeah. Amy was telling me. It was, that was when, when I first got to Saskatoon. I turned, Holy, I turned 50. Long? It's been that long. Four Doesn't years. Doesn't it feel weird how fast four years went by? Totally. It's amazing how it just sprints by. I remember, I, and we sort of, I'll tell you what, the way that I gauge it, because I do travel quite a bit, but the the uh, the business that Amy works for, Vendasta downtown, she's one of the marketing directors at, for the company. When she first started there, 
I think there was less than 40 employees. I think there was like 38 employees. Right. Now there's like 350 employees. Yeah. So when you go to the Christmas party, the Vendasta Christmas party, and there's like 700 people and they're busting at the seams at like Prairie Land now, you, you, I mean, it sort of gives you a perspective on how long you've been here. Or they're really growing rapidly one or yeah. the other. But, and I think it's a little both. It is. I think the the last four or five years to me felt like the fastest years of my life. I can't like that. You know, four years. You think that's just four years, but that's like high school. That's a full university degree. Yeah, and it just went by in a in a blink. It is but long. Yeah, it, it, fifty four though. You look good for fifty four. Oh, man. thanks, man. Yeah. Appreciate you that. have the energy of like a fifty two year old at least. Uh, hopefully, I'll feel better after this juice cleanse. Juice <laughs> yeah, I'm, that's crazy. See, I'm like I'm a few months away from forty. Really? So I got like just uh, five months and then I'm a 40-year-old man. So Dude, it's, it's just a number, man. It really is. It's uh-huh. a number. It's, it's about how 40th? you feel. Like, Do I remember my 40th? Not really. Not really. Just a blur. Yeah, yeah. It's, all, it's all a little bit of a blur. We're all busy, right? Where were you at 40? 40, I was uh, the I was, uh, uh, director of operations for a dealer group, an automotive group in Ontario. And I'd been there for... I think a few years at that point, um, and I was with them right up until coming to Saskatoon. Right. So talk about like, because you work in the automotive. Like, I do. You're, that's your history. How long have you worked in that? Oh, industry? forever, forever. My my father, um, he was one of the guys that was instrumental, uh, along with uh, one other guy that brought Honda into Canada in 1970. Um, so. I was five years old at the time, so I would say I was probably kind of baptized into this business. He uh, and they. So he's you know, a car guy. Oh, he's a car guy. Yeah, and and they, but but a little bit different. I mean, when you're bringing a, a brand new little, you know, tiny little Honda Civic into a space where Cadillacs are roaming free, yeah. um, and it was good because they. I mean, it was during kind of that OPEC crisis. You guys won't remember any of that I stuff, OPEC, but yeah. but. Um, it's it sort of the timing couldn't have been better for Honda to hit Canada and fuel efficiency and, and yeah. And so he set up the distribution network. He set up a couple of hundred dealers across the country. And, uh, I think there's, there's almost 300 of them now, but, uh, yeah. And so I started, you know, knowing that corporate side and knowing how that was built and sort of being around that my whole childhood, uh, it was a natural progression for me just to kind of get into it as a salesperson at a very, at a very young age. And I was, I was blessed, I think, to to be good enough at it that I made a good living at it. I was the number one Honda and Acura salesperson in the country for four years in a row. And um, it, it people say to people used to ask me, they don't ask me anymore, but they used to ask me, "What's your secret? You know, what's the secret?" And and I think that the secret was I was the first one there in the morning and the last one to leave. Right? I didn't really have any other obligations other than myself, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed making money and. It was just, you know, it being a car sales guy is is a grind, and and there's no there's no shortcuts. You gotta put in the time, and you gotta press the flesh, and you gotta meet a lot of people, and you gotta create a lot of relationships. And if you do that, and you do it successfully, you can be very successful in that business. So you started out in car sales. I did. I did in Honda and Acura. Uh-huh. That was like the first. That's where you cut your teeth. I did. And then where did you go from there? Like, how did I, you I became become? a sales manager and took about a seventy thousand dollar a year pay cut at, in, at the same time. So, sales guys, I, I was making good money, but I thought that you know, if I want to really learn the ropes, I want to be a sales sales manager. And I managed a team of about eight guys and and had a lot of fun doing it. And Don't then, you? Isn't it like the 
kind of scheme for you guys in that industry to make more money as you go up. So wouldn't you be taking a cut of their sales as a sales manager? But but they got to be selling too, right? So initially, it, uh, I took a little bit of a haircut. But once you start building them up to the and, and setting expectations and training them and kind of turning them into, I mean, if you just had a bunch of you running around, you'd be making a pretty good living. So that's. But you had to train these people that are straight off. Absolutely, and yeah. and that is, that was the difference, right, Albert? I mean, it was the difference is you you're you're a you you're eating what you kill as a salesperson versus. Now you've got to be the mentor. Now you've got to motivate and inspire people every day to try and get the best out of them, right? And set expectations and hold them accountable to those expectations. So it was a whole different world for me, but in a way, but I was still getting involved with a lot of customers every day and Mm -hmm. closing business every day for the sales guys and with the salespeople. So it it was a natural progression to kind of do what I did. And then beyond that, I became a general manager at a dealership. I was then given an opportunity to be a, the vice president of operations for a fairly large dealer group. And then it's just, you know, you go from, you look at the scale of it. And then, you know, I think that the the last group I worked at in Ontario had 1,200, 12 to, I think it was maybe 1,500 employees when I, when I left. So when you're quarterbacking that kind of an organization, you've really got to have good management skills, good, good time management skills, good customer relationship management skills. I mean, yeah. that's, that's paramount when you get to be that, that big. Wow. So these, these dealerships in, they're all in Ontario? Or Those Toronto? ones were in Ontario. Yeah. Okay. So what brands did you end up working for? Well, the, uh, the group that I started with had, had a lot of import brands, no domestic brands, but, uh, I would say one of the one of the things that I, I, I'm most proud of, mm-hmm. uh, having been with that group, was was uh, actually landing um, a Porsche dealership and a BMW dealership for that group. And when you say landing, I'll just explain that quickly. So you can go out and buy a dealership, and a lot of big groups are doing that right now. There's a lot of merging and acquisitions going on right now. And if you've got a big checkbook, you can go to an owner, a mom and pa operation, and you can say... I'm going to pay you this much money not to come to work anymore. And a lot of them look at that check and go, perfect, I'm out. Um, so that's what's going on in the industry right now. There's a lot of, lot of smaller mom and pop shops that are getting swallowed up by bigger organizations. But um, to, to win or be awarded a franchise right now is that's, that, that's the holy grail. And I'll tell you how that works quickly. Mm-hmm. Someone like Porsche, for instance, looked at a geography in Oakville, Ontario, and said, we think based on growth and demographic and cycle, blah, 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 like a lot of different, different pieces of the puzzle, they said, we're going to open up a point there. We want to put a dealership. Is there. this so Porsche Canada? Porsche Canada, yeah. Is it? Okay, so and Germany. I mean Porsche? Porsche. It's actually Porsche. Um, anybody that say, yeah, I'll give you a little, because they said to us before we walked into the presentation, the initial presentation we did, they said, if you say Porsche, we're going to throw you out of the building. So it's pronounced Porsche. Or sorry, Porsche, rather. Okay, so, I, so, if I so said, if I said Porsche, they would throw it They would throw it out of the building, okay. yeah. It has to be yeah. Porsche. Yeah, because I remember as a kid, we my friends had a Porsche, Porsche, but yeah. I remember they would always call it a Porsche, and I thought he was just being pretentious. Yeah, it's actually Porsche. Oh, okay. Porsche is not the, the right... The I right. guess it would make sense it's German, they, they pronounce the E's pretty hard. They do. So. Well, actually, that's sort of a soft pronunciation at the end of someone's... If it's someone's name, which it was, mm-hmm. Ferdinand Porsche was the guy's name. Anyway, so... Um, and again, I, I don't, I don't want to pop quarters in my head and just keep on going, but I, I would say this, that a, a manufacturer says, look at, we're going to identify this as being an open point. Now 
if you're a dealer group and you think that you should be awarded the franchise, throw your hat in the ring, right? And by throw your hat in the ring, that means come up with every reason why we should award you the store, Yeah. right? So every reason for us was buying the land, spending four or five million dollars on the land, putting together a proposal for a facility that was going to be 65,000 square feet, putting together... Um, you know, a, a, a scale model of the of the end product with the lights that actually go on in the building and bring. I mean, it's just a it, it's a it's a very arduous, expensive undertaking to put together a proposal to be awarded the franchise, and we got it. Um, and when you're awarded the store, let's just say you didn't have to buy it, right? When you're awarded the store, they give you the keys to the kingdom because you now have a franchise. Is that license to print money? For- oh, dude. Especially in that area. Sure. Is it Oakville, you said? Oakville, yeah. Yeah, and... Probably the had... highest or second highest per capita income in the country. So how many cars are you pushing out? So I think our original plan was for was for 150 cars in year one, and I think we doubled that. Um, so uh, Porsche is, it was very, very happy with the results we were getting. What was the cheapest Porsche you could get that? that oh, dealership? I think that, that you can get you can get an entry-level Porsche for about 40000 bucks. What? Yeah, or like those, like just an the... entry, just an entry level, you know, small little sports car with uh, with very few options on it. And I what think was the most expensive one you could sell? Um, well, during my tenure there, they released the nine eighteen, which was a million bucks. Wow, how many did you sell? A couple, those? a couple of those. So, in this, in the world of sales, like when you know that guy's coming in for the nine eighteen, is it like a big wrestling match on who? Oh no, no, no! That it's. Not at all. I think that, that that with Porsche, it's not like a it's not like a, an iron lot or some dirt lot where the salespeople are sitting with their faces pressed up against the glass waiting for the next opportunity. I yeah, think it's, it's a well oiled machine. Like at the, at the million dollar level, you're getting concierge service for sure. Okay, but how do you like designate the one guy to be the sales guy, or is it like a team that does it? Total team effort. Yeah. Total team effort. Okay, yeah, right, so, right from the ownership of the of, of the dealership, right through management. Yeah, it's got to be like a sales like a sales cycle where you know who this customer is. Every it's like acquiring yeah. like B two B almost at that point. It is, right? it is, and you go through different departments. I mean, uh, during your purchase process, you, you get to build your own car, literally, right from the colors, right right down to the stitching and the in, in the seats. I mean, you get to build it. And then you go through the process of, of you know, the contracts and then the delivery. Porsche's got an unbelievable European delivery process where you can actually take delivery at the factory in Germany and drive it. They, they'll, they actually can set up an entire tour for you through, through Europe. And then when you're done your European tour, having taken delivery of your car there, they'll ship it back in a container and you pick it up back here. Really? It's so amazing. You, you yeah. sell a couple of those a year. Mm-hmm. The million dollars. Yeah, that's a big. That's so. It's slightly different than me walking into a used car lot to buy a fourteen thousand dollars Subaru Forester. A little bit different. Just yeah. slightly different. I slightly. Guess. But but you know what? I don't think the customer experience. I mean, you're going. It's a polar opposite there. But I think that that today and and I visit still visit a lot of car dealers. A lot of car dealers are my clients now. Not not just not just franchise stores, but even some of the independent stores um, like O'Brien's in town here is one of our clients. And mm-hmm. you know we. Um, we see their process, and I think that they are um, they're they're getting very very good at 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 mirroring the kind of expectations that because customers have expectations, and if you're going to go in there and they're not just selling cheap, I mean they're selling twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollar pickup trucks yeah. that are pre-owned. Um, the experience has to has to kind of uh, mirror that, right? Yeah, so that's still a lot of money to a lot of different people, totally, right? Totally. Oh, 
Okay, so, so we see them we see them providing an experience that that the customers actually are 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 appreciative of. We see the their reviews coming in um, because we do manage a lot of companies um, reputation management and and we see reviews coming in that are that are great and and you know people giving them a lot of five star reviews. Uh, you, you know I I know that used car dealers used to kind of have a bad rap, but I think that. To compete in in this day and age, you have to provide an unbelievable customer experience because people aren't stupid. People, I mean, it used to be that you had to go to the lot and go through that experience of of going through the purchase of a vehicle. Now, the lion's share of your work is done online. So by the time you're ready to pull the trigger, I think you've got all the information you need to make an intelligent decision on whichever car you're going to purchase. Now it's just a question of where am I going to get it, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and now consumers base their decision on where they're going to get their car on reputation, right? Am I, am I going to have a great reputation? Am I not, am I going to get sort of, I don't know, everybody, everybody doesn't, you know, everybody wants a great deal, right? Nobody wants to get screwed when, when they, when they buy a car and I can appreciate that. Um, so I think that uh, the car dealers today, Albert, are, are cognizant of all of that and are, and are having to provide not just a great, belly-to-belly -belly, um, experience with customers, but a great online experience and a digital experience as well. But what was with the 1980s and 1990s and early 2000s, like why did the car industry get such a bad rap? It, it's because we were talking earlier, I said that the, the word car salesman is kind of used as a moniker for somebody who's kind of a slickster, maybe a shyster. And, you know what I mean? Like I said, yeah. Cadillac was known as the best but car sure. salesman was known as the w almost worst type of person if you said oh yeah my buddy greg he's like he's kind of a car sales guy instantly you know what that means yeah and, and you know what i th i think it's a bad rap that the car guys got i mean i i've been one for, i was one for a long long time and my and i and i think that I, I don't believe i ever had the the you know that sort of that the ball and chain around my leg because i i think it's all about how you treat how you treat people right from the get-go and i think that the reason that people had that, and, and there was probably reason for it, and I know guys that weren't doing the right things in the car business without naming names, but I mean, they would, you know, they would sell you a car that 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 ha had been hit before, and they wouldn't disclose the fact that it had been in an accident. So you were just kind of rolling the and dice. And they know and, that they're doing that. And they know that they're doing that. Yeah. yeah. Or or there were there were guys down on the Danforth in 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 Toronto that like everybody knows in Toronto those dealers that were on the Danforth that were rolling odometers back and but that's back then i mean there is checks and balances in the system right now where there's carfax and there's there's all kinds of different ways that you can research to protect vehicles to protect the consumer yeah and i think that every single one of those is 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 now making it very difficult for somebody who wants to pull the wool over somebody's eyes to operate well, that's good news for people it totally, like us, right? Totally. And it's because I, I can imagine, I remember buying a car. My first car I bought was in like 1996. Yeah. And it was just a private sale. But I remember buying a car in 2001 when I graduated university. And it was, I felt like it was a terrible experience. And then now, just recently, I think you helped instrument the, the Subaru Forester. Just, I think I emailed you yeah. back in the day. And it was, yeah, I super, remember that. it was super quick because I knew so much about it. And you're right. Like I didn't like, I felt like I, you can't really screw me because I have the Carfax on it. You checked it out and we were buddies. And, but I think back to when my parents had to buy a car, cause I think we had friends who were car salespeople and I, it was almost that distrust that kind of ran through, uh, their reputation that everybody knew. And yeah. I'm always just curious about the 
the weirdest things you've probably ever seen and the most kind of shady things that you've probably ever seen? Well, I'll say this just in defense, I think of the of the of the business in general, Albert, and it is, I think that 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 people don't want to get ripped off. Let's just use ripped off in quotes as being the thing that no one ever wants, mm-hmm. right? So, but but I do think that that cars are priced at the level they're priced at for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. It, it allows profitability for the dealer. It allows the OEM, the manufacturer to make money. Everybody's got to make money, right? Mm-hmm. Except people don't want car dealers to make too much money at their expense, right? And if if you make too much money at their expense, then they're going to feel ripped off. Well, if you go into and go buy a brand new Honda and pay the sticker price on it, the MSRP, you can walk out of there with a great experience because you went in and you bought a car. Mm -hmm. Now, where people feel, I think, Albert, where people feel a little, they get a little defensive is that they feel that, well, they've got to go in and they've got to negotiate, Right. You feel like you have to. I, I don't want to just take the price because then I'll, I wouldn't feel good about myself. Right. I feel like I, totally. I got ripped off. Totally. And I but, never but how do you do that, Albert? Here's my, here's the question. How do you, where did you ever learn to negotiate? Never. And I, that's another thing I want you to tell me, like how to negotiate. Sure. Because in, I, I went through commerce and I seriously think they need to do a course on negotiation. Mm-hmm. Because if you, if I, if you offer me a price I have no idea what a good, like a, or, a good you know? or a good counter offer is. Right. Because you might just laugh at me and go, this guy's an amateur. So here's, oh, here's, here's a little peek behind the curtain for you and your, and your listeners. Car dealers, um, I'm going to say on average, and I, when we talk about the averages, I'm talking about the, the, the Hondas, the Toyotas, the Nissans, the Mazdas. And I, that's kind of the world that I operated in was sort of that. And we'll talk about, remind me to talk about imports versus not, versus not imports. Okay, because, domestics, yeah. Because... Just as a, as a footnote to that part of the conversation, Honda and Toyota, which are considered imports, I think, yeah. uh, they manufacture more cars in Canada than General Motors does. So General Motors is actually an import because we import those cars from the United States into Canada. And yet, um, yeah, that and when you look Honda. at the actual, you look at the qualifications to be a domestic car maker, Honda and Toyota meet those, meet, meet those criteria. They're actually a domestic car. Are they priced that way too? Totally, oh. totally. Okay. Um, so going back to uh, what I was, the, the little peek behind the curtain was that the average car dealer has about an eight percent markup in the vehicle. That's it. Eight percent from brand new. From brand new. Okay. And and some are some are lower than that, right? I mean, I think that so if you go buy a twenty thousand dollar Honda Civic, mm-hmm. there's about what eighteen hundred bucks in the car. Is at that it? profitability for the dealer. That so means if you pay lying. full sticker, if you pay full sticker, the dealer's making sixteen to eighteen hundred dollars on the deal. Full sticker. So they give you five hundred dollars off. What are they making really? The average Canadian. I, I remember this. There was a poll done years ago. The average Canadian, when asked how much does a car dealer make when they sell you a car, the average answer was five thousand dollars. How much does a salesperson make? This they, they questioned and said, how much does a salesperson make when they sell you a car? The average answer was one thousand dollars. That's not true. I would say that in Toronto right now, it's so a little bit. So let's take a twenty-five thousand dollars car. Yeah. So what, give me the breakdown on margins on that. There's about two grand in it for the dealership. For the dealership. So you buy that car for twenty-three grand from Mazda or whatever. You buy the car for twenty. No, that's that's if you as a consumer. No, I mean, buy like, it I mean, from... I mean, if you're buying because you do you have to buy the car as a dealership. Start from... again. You're a dealer, right? Yeah. And you have to buy it from the manufacturer. Exactly. So are they so, buying it for twenty-three? Right. Yeah. So their their cost on it is twenty three. Yeah. The MSRP is twenty five. And this is a hundred percent sure. Totally. 
Okay. Yeah, I got no reason to lie to you. Why would I do that? <laughs> well, the reason I'm here is to, but, but, is to <laughs> shed some light on it, right? I'm transparent. I'm telling you the the. the but when the they real say deal. that to me, the first thing I go is that can't bu- be that's true. Bullshit. Yeah. Because they well, go, you know what they give me? They give me the line. They go, you know what, man? If I give you any more off, man, I'm I'm taking it out of the pocket here. Well, I I don't know that that's true because. There are different ways that dealers can make money, right? I know I know guys in Toronto that'll sell a car for $125 over invoice just to get you into the office in the back, which is called the box in the in the car business. The box. The box. And the box is where they finance you, they they put the rust proofing on, they put the Clear code. Uh, they they put all the go fasters on your car, you right? You call that go fasters? Well, it's just all the stuff that they sell in that office, right? They sell insurance in that office. And that's a huge, huge yeah, business. Yeah, there's a whole insurance financing side of Massive, the Massive, right? You're buying loss of employment insurance, you're buying life and disability insurance, you're buying and all of those can can be conveniently added to your monthly payment, right? If you agreed on 325 bucks a month, all of a sudden you walk out of the box and your payment is $375 a month and the value is there. I'm not saying this is stuff that you don't need. I think that that everybody that goes in there probably should protect their payment against something that's unforeseen. It's the reason you have home insurance. It's the reason you have collision insurance, mm-hmm. right? It's like bu- it's buying that. I would say that that dealers now today rely more on the profitability in that office mm-hmm. than they do on the actual car itself. Plus, the fact that you're making money in the service department too. If you can get some recidivism, meaning if you can get some loyalty mm-hmm. from your from your client and have them come back and service. I mean, what was the last time you took your car for service? Tell me what the hourly rate was to 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 have your car serviced. Yeah, I guess. Well, I brought mine into a mechanic because my timing belt blew up. So, but still, the mechanic's got to make dough, right? Like, yeah, what's he sure. charging? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe a hundred bucks an hour. I don't know. I've never even asked. Should I be asking for shop rates? At a hundred bucks an hour, if a shop rate is a hundred bucks an hour, I think that I think in this city it's probably about a hundred and hundred and ten. Okay. There's a seventy percent markup in service. It's like like that's where dealerships make their money in service. Dealerships are making the lion's share of their of their profitability in service. As a matter of fact, there's a calculation called absorption rate, which means that how much of your entire dealership's nut is covered by your service department. So you need a service department oh. to survive as a dealership. Oh, you couldn't you couldn't survive without that. Okay, so let's go back to your Porsche dealership. Sure. You had a million dollar car. Like what do you, is it how much are you guys taking out of that for the, just the profit margin on well, the car? Well, if if that if if the margin on on that is the same, right? If 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 it's 8% and it, with Porsche it's slightly higher than that, but not much, Yeah. right? So say you could take 100 grand out of that thing. So but it's not quite that. But yeah. anyway, let's call it 100 grand. If, if there's a hundred thousand dollars. But how much are you going to be making off of that single car on top of with the uh, go-fasters? Well, um, I mean, I would say that there's, there's on a million dollar car, there's all kinds of things that you could, you could add on to it, right? I mean, for the most part, they come pretty loaded up, but you could add any number of things to it. And yeah, if you start I, to add those insurances that I talk about, those insurance premiums are predicated on the price of the vehicle. So oh, they can okay. get pretty expensive too, but... So would you say from a uh, dealership perspective, is it, do you want to sell the most expensive car? Do you want to sell a ton of like Honda Civics? Uh, I would, I would say that you're, that you're probably, I mean, there's lots of dealers that I know that are making lots of money at Honda and Toyota dealers. Those are the, that, that's, that's the gold standard right now. If you have a Honda store and what's crazy is coming to Saskatoon was, uh, was, I think that initially people thought I was from the future because when I would say, I'd ask people here, like how many Honda dealerships are in Saskatoon? And your answer would be, one. One. Yeah. Guess how many Honda dealers there are in Toronto? Take a wild guess. I'm, I'm going to guess. 
Five. 28. 28 Honda dealers? And they're not 28 this, times our size either. Maybe There's not. 30 Toyota stores. Holy. They're within six to eight kilometers of, you know, 10 kilometers at the outside of each other. So and how do they price themselves competitively or do they have like big, some that's sort of big price question. fixing? That's a big, that's a big question. Cause right? you can only go so low, right? Before, would you take a loss on a car though? Sure. And, and it really depends. I think that, that if you want to know when the best time to buy a car is, it's probably near the end of the month, right? And find out if you can, which cars have been on the lot the longest, right? Because, cause days in inventory kill, kill your, your value. Cause you're paying interest. Here's the thing that a lot of people don't realize is that there's that most of the cars, I'm going to say all the cars on, let's say a Honda lot, they're, they're what's, they're, they're what's called floor planned. And you're paying probably, even if your credit is amazing as a car dealer, you're probably paying close to about a half a percent monthly on an interest alone on the value of the vehicles that are on the lot. So if I've got $10 million in inventory, and that's nothing by the way. Cars are high ticket items, Albert, as you know, to, you know, you do the hockey math on the average price of $25,000, five, eight, $10 million, you can burn through that pretty quickly. So if you're, if you've got, call it 5 million bucks in inventory, because that's probably close to what, what people have in inventory here. You do the math on, on the interest that dealers pay every month just to have the cars sitting on the lot. It's, it's in the 50 to $60,000 a month range, just in interest to pay the bank to have your cars there. So wow, dealerships funny. have expenses. That's the thing. And I think that you get, get back to the, I don't want to, you know, I know I'm bouncing around a little bit, but if we don't want people, if we're consumers, if we're, you and I are consumer advocates, we want people to have a great experience and we don't want them to get ripped off. Mm-hmm. A lot of people feel ripped off. I, I know people that have come back and said, you gave me $5,000 for my trade-in and you got it on the lot for $99.95. You're making double on my car. Well, that's not, in fact, that's not true. That's not true at all. As a matter of fact, you brought it here and it was a bucket of bolts, to be honest with you. I had to pay close to $2,500 to recondition that car, Just to, to put a warranty on it, to pretty it up and make sure that it was in, it was in the right running order for a consumer to actually purchase it, right? Mm-hmm. And then I've got, to, I've got to put it up, price it at a level where I know people are going to negotiate with me on the price. Bring it so, down to 8500 bucks. Sure. Yeah. And I, after all is said and done, am I ripping you off by making $1,000 or $1,200 on your $5,000 trade-in that That's you an easy in? argument for you to make, Roll, when they come in, right? It's not hard for you to kind of show them like all the things Yeah, but peop- I'll tell you what, people want crazy money for their cars. But they- then if you don't want to get ripped off on a trade-in, just sell it privately. You'd get a couple extra grand. Maybe. Maybe the average it, that, take, it takes, profe- takes professionals wrong. forty-five days on average to sell a used car. Yeah, professionals, right? People that are in the business takes them forty-five days. Do you want to be answering phone calls at your house for forty-five days? That's if you're a professional. Yeah, or you have to price yourself so low in the market that you're going to just be inundated with phone calls and emails for the next you know two months, and probably three months after you sell it, you're going to have people calling you too because the price is going to be mm-hmm. just sitting there in the ether sphere, right? So and, this whole time. You're, you're, you're making some great <coughs> arguments, by the way, and I was kind of thinking that you were just going to shit on the industry, which you're, you're actually, you know, rationalizing it to me. But there's got to be something in there. So, like, what's something about the car sales world that the car guys just don't want you to know? Um, well, there's, I would say this, the car, car dealers used to be their own worst enemy. You, you talked about, you hit, a, you hit something earlier that tweaked something in my, in, my, in my mind, and that is, have you ever sold a car below cost? Well... Dealers have, and here's a little secret that a lot of people may not know, is that dealers have 
what's called a holdback from the manufacturer. The holdback is put in, put in place to make sure that the dealers have enough money, even if they start giving cars away, to pay for their marketing, their advertising. So they hold back. It's about a percentage and a half that the OEM holds back and will pay them at the end of a quarter or at the end of however whatever the period is, right? Mm -hmm. So you'll get money back from the manufacturer because you're your own worst enemy. You would have given it away anyway and discounted the hell out of the car. Mm -hmm. So what we're going to do is we're going to play the shell game and keep a little bit of money on your behalf because we know you're going to do that. We know you would have given it away anyway. So because that, because I'll tell you what, in a place like a place like Saskatoon where there's one Honda dealer, the Honda dealer's making money because he doesn't have a lot of competition. Like I said, in Toronto, there is a race to the bottom when it comes to profitability. Yeah. So with that holdback and all these little things that you're kind of telling me, if I want to get a great deal, mm -hmm. let's just pretend we're going to go walk into a dealership. Sure. Like you and I are going to go, like you're going to be my dad, yeah, <laughs> my older brother. <laughs> we're going to walk into a dealership. And the whole goal for me is to say, is to get the best deal. Uh -huh. um, let's just walk through the strategy. Because I'll tell you, when I like walk through a dealership door, I have certain archetypes of car salesmen that I look at. And you want to know what, the, in my mind, what I kind of look for? I look for, there's, well, I don't look for it, but I know that there's a, a slick guy. Because you've probably worked with all these guys, right? Sure. There's the classic slick guy he's got the, like the long leather bomber jacket and he's yeah. smoking out in the hallway and you can just <coughs> the white you, patent leather shoes yeah yeah and you can just he's been there forever mm -hmm. and he hates guys like me because i'm probably buying like a fifteen thousand dollar car but he's like wants to sell the seventy five thousand dollar truck so he's gonna give me space though he's yeah. gonna you know what no pressure i'm just gonna give you space in in fact he just doesn't give a shit about me then there's the the slick young new guy and he's maybe from a small town. And mm -hmm. You can just tell these guys from a mile away. And he's wearing business clothes that just don't fit properly, right? Yeah. You know that guy. And has like kind of spiky hair, maybe yeah. like a, a chain. And you're like, okay, I don't know how long this guy's going to last. He's probably going to be that slick guy in 20 years. Maybe. Then there's the uh, the old guy, the guy with the white hair. And he's actually a really nice guy. And right. he, you can tell that he's like built his reputation based upon being a really nice guy. And you maybe go and to that guy. And he's been there forever. Exactly. Then there's the Chinese dude. There's yeah. always like the Chinese dude. There and, is. You know what I mean? I got a great story for you about the Chinese he's guy. Got, he's got no humor. He's got like, he's just a straightforward guy. And because I don't speak the language, he doesn't want to deal with me and I don't want to deal with him. Right. And for some reason, we're just feeling each other out. Yeah. And then there's always one girl. Right. And you, you have to have the one the girl. One girl. Yeah. And I don't know what it is, but you go in and you're like, as a, as a male, I'm like, oh, maybe I could go talk to her because she might be the most empathetic. And then soon into like 10 minutes in the conversation, you realize, oh, no, she's just as tweaked as all the other guys. There's, yeah. there's a reason she's here. Right. So those are my archetypes. I don't really know who I should deal with. Um, I think if you want my opinion on who, who you should be dealing with, I, I don't think you should be dealing with any of them. I think that that too many people use, you know, the, 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 they, they're not networked well enough to know who the guy is that owns the place or who the guy is that manages the place. But I think that if you were going to do any homework, my suggestion would be to get introduced, introduce yourself to that guy first, whether it's through the internet or on the phone and let them know what your intention is because... So email them first. Oh yeah. But the, I'm talking about the sales manager or general manager. Oh, okay. Because if you walk into to the... It, it, it's it's just fair game. You have no idea who you're going to get, right? And you want to have a great experience. And yeah. I think the dealership wants you to have a great experience too. But the guy that is, you know, that's 21 years old that just hit the floor, 
you're probably not going to have a great experience with him because he just he doesn't even know his product knowledge yet, right? You're going to get frustrated. Yeah. So if that sales manager or general manager that you introduce yourself first to first introduces you to that guy, then they're going to take a vested interest in making sure that you get dealt with effectively and that if anything goes sideways during that during that relationship mm-hmm. you're going to have that safety net that manager to kind of back you up right so they, that guy just might orchestrate the 21 year old kid might just orchestrate the he's going to go get the car albert he's going to bring it around it's going to be cleaned and gassed and he's going to park it out front and you're going to go for a road test in that vehicle now he's going to accompany you and he's going to talk about some of the value of the vehicle he's going to talk about some of the operation of the vehicle but when it comes to price don't worry about, let me serve the price up to you because I'm going to give you not just a price, I'm going to give you the best price. Does that make sense? Yeah. And 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 to me, that experience happens a lot because a lot of people know the managers because maybe they've bought a car before. There's a lot of recidivism in, in, in auto, a lot of loyalty in auto because if somebody buys a car and gets the experience that they want, they'll never go anywhere else because they, they don't want to have the, arc, the, 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 the typical car buying experience. That's why I had customers that bought, that were on their, Eighth Honda with you. I mean, they're eighth. They're eighth Honda. You think about that, and and that's that's craziness. Where people are just buying another, and and they're great cars, no question, mm-hmm. right? But they're buying the the same car over and over again, not because it's the best car on the planet. It's one of them, mm-hmm. but they're just happy with the experience. They just don't want to have. They 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 don't want to. Human beings, you know, are are creatures of habit, mm-hmm. right? We'll go do the same thing over and over again as long as it was a decent experience, right? Yeah, that's an interesting that you're talking about that. It's a lifetime value of the customer. I yeah. think that's what in in just sales, they're always looking at that. And I, I go in and I usually try to make it sound like I'm a young guy. I could be buying 10 cars from you. You got to start treating me well from the very beginning. Right. Is that a good strategy at all? Yes. Do you see that? Like when you as a sales guy look at archetypes coming in, who are the ones that you really are attuned to? The, the, the person that is the most knowledgeable, that has done all their homework, is the best customer. Really? Rather a- than absolutely. like the naive? No, Because no, you always the, think that a car sales guy is going to prey on the single girl that comes in in her 20s that doesn't know anything about cars. Well, maybe. Not. And, and I, I can't say that's not happening because I'm sure that it is. And God forbid you're a single girl that goes into a car dealership that's, full, that's, that's chock-a-block yeah. full of guys that are... Work that work on eating what they kill, literally, right? Yeah. I mean, you don't make money. They're not on salary, so they're they're not only making commission, but they want to they want to maximize their commission, right? So yeah. they're they're going to want to make as much money as they can. So in that industry, who are the archetypes that these guys are looking at that get really excited because they know that this is going to be? Used? I don't think I don't. So there's got to be somebody. no. There isn't. There isn't Albert because I'll I'll say this that that there's a rotation, right? So you could be the guy that loves to you know get all the money from the young girl that's coming in and, and, and is pretty naive about the buying experience, but it might not be your turn, right? So as so, people come in, there's, oh, so a, you there's a rotation of salespeople. You get what are called ups, yeah. Is that how it works? Totally. Like you walk in and then you get assigned almost? You, it's your turn to take take the opportunity. So somebody right? walks in through the door. Who's got, up is guy it? Take, and they who's know, up? It's, it's called who's up? Who's up? Oh, and then when that gets taken away, somebody else walks in behind them. Another person takes it. And yeah. He, so it's not just like it's not a free for all. No. So it's kind of a there's a, there's a little bit of a like musical chairs going on in yeah. the, the scene. Yeah. And, and any dealer that doesn't have that process has fist fights going on in the back have you rooms ever seen over. It? Like, oh what's yeah. The worst craziest thing you've seen behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. There's salespeople that fight over. Like that's my customer, right? 
Oh, that's that, that guy came in. I was on lunch. I talked to him last week. So we're splitting the deal. Have you right? seen like... Oh, yeah. Lot, lot, lots, of, lots of friction there. Wow. And unless you can prove it, this is why salespeople who are... In, 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 and I was one of them. I was one of them. I was selling cards just by the seat of my pants. I didn't have a lot of process involved. I wasn't documenting a whole lot of stuff. I was just very good at what I did. <coughs> Pardon me, without having to do that, right? But mm. today, if you're not a CRM ninja, if you're not, if you're not, don't have a system that manages your daily activities, that manages your customer relationships, that sends out that birthday card to you on your birthday automatically. Because mm. a salesperson that remembers your birthday is not a salesperson anymore. He's probably gone to upper management, right? So mm -hmm. unless you have those technologies to manage your database of customers, you're not a salesperson in the auto space today, mm -hmm. period. Because yeah. there's no room for people that fly by the seat of their pants anymore. The 1980s. Gone. Gone. Vaporized. Yeah. It's new. So, okay, so we're... <coughs> the Chinese story I wanted to tell to yeah, you. Yeah, tell me that. <laughs> so I had, and this is in the 80s, uh, maybe 90s. I'm going to say maybe early 90s. I had a Chinese salesperson at the Honda dealerships, and he was the only Chinese guy, right? He was the Chinese guy. Yeah. I think I had the slick guy, and I had the girl, and I had all the rest the of the young based on your, based on, yeah. So <laughs> anyway, I, um, and this guy was killing it. Like he was, he was selling in a very short period of time, a lot of cars, right? And, and I didn't put two and two together until later. And here's the, here's the story. So we were, we were seeing um, in the area that we were in in Toronto, there was, a, it's a huge, Chinese community and they were coming they just growing rapidly um, so I figured I needed another Chinese sales salesperson so I hired another guy so the first guy's name was Norman the guy I hired his name was Michael uh, Norman Chow Michael Ling and Norman um, Michael Michael came to me after about three weeks on the job and he said Dan can you can you get Norman to take the take the sign down that he put up over his desk and he's got on his desk. And it was written in Chinese Mandarin or, well, Mandarin or Cantonese or whatever it is. And I, I mean, I'd pass by it all the time, but I had no, no idea. I can't read that, right? I can't, I don't know what it is. Well, I said, I said to Michael, I said, well, what does the sign say? You want me to, you want to get Norman to take the sign down? What does it say? And he said, it says every Chinese person that walks in this dealership must report to this desk. <laughs> and I said, that's, that's ingenious. Like I thought that's, that's, that's crazy ingenious. That's so he like, just got all the Chinese customers. Totally. Um, so I said, to, I didn't have the heart. You know what I said to, you know what I said to Michael? I said, Michael, I think that's, that's amazing marketing on his part or whatever it is he's doing because he's doing a great job and he was selling enough cars, Albert, that I'm not going to go say anything to the guy, right? Yeah. I just said, make your own sign if, if, if that's what you want to do. You want to compete in this world and you want to compete against a guy like Norman who's that witty, that, like yeah. he's got that kind of intellect, make your own sign. So he made his own I would have been making one, sign. a sign in Farsi and Arabic. And yeah. <laughs> Back then, I don't think that was it was as big a deal, but it just shows you some of the ingenuity that some of these sales guys have to capture. And and you know what? On Saturdays, which were our busiest days, mm -hmm. and any dealer will tell you that, there was a lineup of Asian people at this guy's desk, and I thought they were all the same family. I really did. I thought if he's got five <laughs> or six people lined up, they must all come in together. No, but it's separate because they, they were reading the sign. They were reading they're the sign. following the rules. Like, Amazing, right? Classic. Yeah. So days of the week, like give us the tips on days of the week. Who should be talking to like counter offers? Like, how does this all work in our favor if we're going to go buy now? And you said obviously do a lot of research. 
Do the research. Yeah. And, but you know what? Days of the week, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that one right now. Saturday for sure. Because Saturday, it's about numbers. It's about volume. Guys want to put, you know, 10, 15, 20 deals on the, on the, on the board on a Saturday. It's the busiest day. They'll, in, in a lot of, a lot of cases, they don't really have time to sit down and negotiate and grind out a great deal. They'll just mm -hmm. give you, drop their pants and give you a great deal right, right out of the shoot. Really? Just because it's like churn them and burn them and move on to the next Specific. one, right? Who's got time? What right. about specific cars, trims, and everything? Like, what's the kind of best way to, like, what's the best kind of class of car to kind of get the best deal on? I don't know. The, you, you talk about the markup. The markup is the markup. The markup is the same across the board. And I think that you're talking about creature comforts. You're talking about, you know, all the all the bells and whistles on the car. I don't, there's no real difference as far as the, the deal that you're going to get. Proportionately, you may get a better deal on one that's fully jammed up, but because they've, they've got a little bit more margin in a car that's more expensive, mm -hmm. right? That just stands to but reason. But if you're trying to get a basic roll-down window, Honda Civic. Just a grocery getter. That's what we call them, right? Grocery getter, just, yeah. Just a grocery getter? Well, I would say that, that the best deal you're going to get on, on, on a car like that would be something that's been in stock for a while. Um, so if you phone and you do what I told you before or asked you to do before, and that is yeah. introduce yourself to the GM or the sales manager and get a relationship going with somebody more senior, mm -hmm. start talking about those things. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in a Toyota Corolla. What, mm -hmm. what, what's, what's your oldest car in stock? And could I get a, a, a good deal, a good deal on the oldest one you've got in inventory? The guy is going to tell you absolutely you can. Absolutely. Okay. So talk about the stock. Yeah. Really oh, and I would that. buy in inventory because dealers hate dealer trading for other cars or ordering in from the factory. Well, that's how I got you to do. I got or, you to bring in a car from another dealership. What that did was leave a car in stock at the dealership you took delivery of it at, right? Dealers love selling in stock vehicles, right? Oh, uh, yeah. So another tip would be if you're prepared to do it, you know, unless all the cars on their lot are pink with purple polka dots and you don't want that color combination, yeah. then then you'll have to go to another store or get one ordered in. So they love you buying something that's going to get rid of their inventory. Totally. Yeah. Buy it off the shelf, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a good tip. Um, if it's cars, maybe a 25 grand and what's a reasonable counter offer? Should you just look at that 8% and yeah. try to go from there? Or can you go lower? Can you actually go below cost or are they going to laugh you out of the room? No, it depends because some guys write down their inventory. If they've had it in inventory, like I said, for a long time, they'll take some of that holdback money that we talked about and write down the inventory. They'll say, look, we're going to take $10,000 or whatever of this money and we're going to allot it to these you know, 20 cars. So they'll know what they're So we'll knock it. So we'll knock, knock our, knock our, our overall cost of that vehicle down. I mean, that's a shell game that I don't think the average consumer is going to want to play. But I, I would say this, that if you do just want to get a great deal, start talking to the people that are in charge first, not, not the people that are just. And the, it's easy to get. Right. Hold of those totally. Guys. And, and just be confident enough in yourself that you're going to be able to go and actually start a conversation with these people. Mm -hmm. If, and then start talking about what is the best deal on the on the lot. What cars have you had in inventory the, the, the longest? And I would do this probably around the 23rd of the month. 23rd? Right. Because dealers have quotas. They have targets that they have to hit. That, that If it's a franchise dealer, now it's different if you're just a used car lot because they don't have any of that stuff. But if you're a, if you're a Honda dealer, we keep coming back to Honda and I'm giving them the plug. Um, <laughs> if you're a Honda dealer, the, the manufacturer gives you a number, right? Mm-hmm. It's, and it's pretty much not negotiable. I mean, you can try to negotiate at the beginning of the year, but they'll give you a number and that's their expectation. And their number is not just darts on a wall. They've done the homework. To know what they in, need. Well, in your market, right? They know exactly how many Hondas are going to get sold in that market if you're doing your job, right? Yeah. As a dealer. 
So they'll tell you, for, for argument's sake, your number is 1,000 cars, right? You, you carve that up over 12 months. Some, some months are busier than others, but that means you got to sell about 80 cars a month. If you're not selling 80 cars a month and you're not hitting your target, then you could be out of compliance with the dealer agreement, meaning you could you, lose. you could lose your ticket. You could lose the store. Have you seen that happen? I have actually. It I've seen dealers. Very often, though, does right? not happen very often because they'll they'll, they'll work very, very hard with you to to make sure that but in the end of the day, if it's not a good fit and you're not getting the job done, they'll find somebody who who can, period. Okay, so when we're we bought the car, we agreed upon the price. I go in the box. Yeah. How do I not get fleeced in the box? Well, you just got to be. You got to have your wits about you. I mean, there's there's some there's some great salespeople in in that office. As a matter of fact, a sale a, a dealership will say, you know, this person who who is a salesperson has some great sales attributes. They'll progress into that office first before they'll become they'll go to sales management. So that's sort of that natural progression is putting you in that in that uh, environment before you'll get kind of uh, promoted. But all those add-ons, like there's got to be one in there that's kind of bullshit that you should just either ask well, to get tossed in or can you be negotiated? What are the easiest things to just say? They'll always give you clear code if you ask for it. Probably. Like, how would you do this? Okay, you're going in again. And there's you, big markups in that okay, stuff, so by you, the way. Okay, you're going in. Yeah. They don't know that you're Dan the Man Robinson car guy of Canada. And you're going into the box now. Well, I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be going into the I, I would actually negotiate that stuff with the sales manager that I talked about before. So if you want rust proofing and you want clear code and you want that wind deflector on the front, I would probably negotiate that in the price of the vehicle when you're negotiating the price of the vehicle. And do that at the time of the purchase, rather because you'll you won't be able to do that in the box. I think you probably won't. Okay, no. so you just kind of just say I'll I'll do it for this price, but can you toss these in? Yeah. What if he says no? Well, then um, I, I would continue to negotiate at that point. Okay. So I would so tell them is... like I would say, would you like if the rust proofing is eleven hundred bucks? I would say, well, can we can we split it in half? Right. I would negotiate some of those things if you feel that you need them. Don't buy things that you don't need, though. Right. And what do I not need? Well, I would say this, that 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 dealers do make a lot of money on things like undercoating and rust proofing. But when you look at the way cars are manufactured today and the warranties that are on cars for that very thing, some of it's a little redundant, I would say. So what would you bypass or what would you call it? I, would, I wouldn't rust proof a car for the length of time you keep a car. I mean, the average... I think Canadian consumer, when they, when they buy a new car, keeps it for just over six years. Mm-hmm. Okay, it, what about those? The car is not going to fall apart in six years. Well, if you're planning on keeping them. it till you till to, to the end of time, yeah, maybe you know buy that stuff. If what was my, your question? You mean if you're my dad and yeah. keep a, one car for forever, years. right? Yeah. Okay. So what are what's one of the add-ons that you would take that you'd be like stupid not to take? Um. I guess you got me there because you know what? Car sales guys don't buy a lot of cars. I mean, we, you know, there's, I would say that, that you would have to get, there is a plastic that they sell, like a 3M coating that they put over the front of the car. They used to be bras. Remember the bras were the thing? Yeah, whatever happened to the Yeah, the I just world. think they, yeah. I, I, think that I what, saw a car, a, a guy with a, like a Cavalier with a bra on it the yeah. other day. And I was like, wow. That's pretty retro. A blast from the past, man. <laughs> yeah. How is that not hipster? Yeah, totally yeah. hipster. <laughs> Um, but today they do it with a, like a 3M uh, clear guard that they put on and it's like shrink yeah, wrapped right on the front. Do you have that? Like a, I, I, it's on the side. Like, I would pay all kinds of money for that. 
I, I would like that. I think the process probably costs them, costs the dealer in the, you know, 300 range to have it done three to $400 range because it is, it is a lot of intricate work and a lot of intricate cutting. Mm -hmm. But I would say that if you can get it for three, 400 bucks or whatever it is, they'll probably charge you eight ninety nine for it. I would get it because the leading edge of your hood is, is, is the most susceptible to those stone those chips, chips and yeah. the just, I mean, driving around in this city right now, there's, there's just these, <laughs> there's this haze of dust that is, that, that probably is gritty. That's going to mess your car up. Right? right. So that's one thing I would definitely get. Oh, that's awesome. No, those are uh, pretty good uh, tips. So if you're going to buy a car today, what would be your best bang for your buck, you think, car? And again, you say you don't buy a lot of cars. Well, I would say that, that, that trucks, obviously. I think in the Canadian, especially out here. I mean, if, you, if, if, I'm, if I'm going to be recommending a vehicle to somebody out here that maybe isn't from here, get, get an all-wheel drive. Get a four-wheel drive something, right? I think that that's... And it's the reason that they're the most but popular. But any sort of, sort of brand that you... Oh, well... You know, w- without alienating thing. some of my, some of the guys that I've got as clients, yeah, I mean, it's you, you not know, like you, they're making the bad cars. It's more no, they're not. Just which one would you pick if you had to? Because so, you've probably driven a ton of cars. Uh, yeah, I, I would get a Lexus. Absolutely, out, out of all of them. Yeah. Why? Because they're bulletproof. They and they're they're it, they're unbelievable quality, fit, finish, performance level is really? is outstanding. Um, not to say that the BMWs and the and the Audis and the Mercedes of the world aren't. I think that they're great. I've owned all of those cars. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that if, if you're talking about bang for your buck, which ones w- do you not see come in the least or the most, which ones are the most reliable that you, cause everybody wants a car. That's well, Honda, reliable. Honda, Toyota, Lexus, Acura. I mean, you cannot go wrong with those vehicles. I don't have a lot of experience with people like with, with manufacturers like Nissan and Mazda, but I do think that, that as good a car as they are, they're, I think still, I think that Toyota and Honda make the are, are the gold standard. They make the the cars that everybody else wants to make. Okay. Right. Okay. What about worst car you've ever seen that just came back? And it could be a car that's it's not even manufactured anymore. Yeah, I think that that and and listen, I, I think that they they did what they were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Chrysler was the inventor of the minivan mm-hmm. back when Lee Iacocca was the chief. Oh, and, really? Yeah, Iacocca, yeah, but. I, I, we used to see those come in and... Um, that's what I grew up on. But I'll tell you what, they, they just were, they would fall apart. They would literally fall apart. And, and I think, again, they're, today, you're asking me what is the worst car I've ever seen. It was probably like a like the Magic Wagon um, because they, they, they were just held together with like chewing gum and duct tape, uh, you know, right out of the manufacturer. So but I don't think they were, they were cheap and they, they did what they were supposed to do. They were pe- like a disposable car. When people say a disposable car, uh, when people say they don't build them like they used to, um, I feel like that's for a certain era because there's got to be some. They don't know. They, they don't know what they're talking about. Because cars now have to be engineered and manufactured with the highest, craziest standards. There's still that- there's still old school guys that just love having American metal around them, and good for them, right? That's if, if that's what they want to do, then that's what they want to do. But I think you people used to feel more used to feel safer with just the amount of sheer metal they had around them. But today, like you said, I mean, the legislation on, on safety and all the rest mm-hmm. of it, they have to have, I mean, you, you're not buying a car today with the exception of, I think, the smart car. Because, I mean, if you think about that, there's the sheer size of the of a tiny, tiny vehicle. If it's going to tangle up with a Ford F-350 with a lift kit on it, you know who's going to win that battle, right? Yeah, it doesn't matter what car right. you have. Right. No airbag's going to save right. you from that. I do. We only got like a few minutes left, but I do want to switch gears really quick. And thank you for oh my pleasure, man. The, the car industry and you, you. I hope I, I hope I gave you enough. No, it's good. I honestly thought you were just gonna shit 
profusively on it, but uh, you actually are quite, it, what it told me is that you're quite passionate about it and you still have a lot of roots in it and you're still like, uh, it, you're not defending it, but you're actually just kind of, you're, you're a good advocate for the industry, I would say, in the sense, because everybody kind of feels like you're getting laced by these guys. And uh, I'm just trying to be transparent. And I think that, that if you look at it from the perspective of, uh, even from a fly on the walls perspective, I think if you take into consideration some of the things I've talked to you about today and some of your own experiences, Take it for what it's worth, but I, I think that car the car buying experience is getting better, and and I and I and I, I I'm an advocate because of that. Right. I've done my best to try and clean up my little corner of the car business at every place that I've stopped along the, along my the journey of my career. And is there still some some unscrupulous characters out there? Sure, but I I think you can see them now, right? I think that they they're the ones that stick out. They're the exception yeah. as opposed to the rule. Right. It's harder right. to hide that. Totally. Um, in a few podcasts from now, we're bringing um, Alex from Kirby, the that used online car dealership that's uh -huh. starting out of Saskatoon, and they drive a car to your place, and you can test drive it. It has awesome. all the research, and he's going to really talk about how the industry's changed. So um, it'd be interesting to introduce the two of you. Guys yeah, I'd love to. He's, he's love a really to meet smart him. guy. I graduated for commerce with him, and uh, I just ran into him the other day, and he's a really interesting guy. So Cool. Um, love but, to meet him. On that topic of, uh, you know, startups and software, you have a new company now because what are you up to today? I do. I actually, um, I launched a new startup um, in September and, and that, you know, that's, it's a pretty young company and, and there is some legs under it. We have, there's a large appetite, not just in automotive, but in, in other verticals as well. We've got auto clients, we have, you know, dentists and lawyers and doctors and fitness clubs and restaurants and, and, and plumbers that are, mm -hmm. that have, that are, that have signed up as clients. And it's a, it's an interesting take on marketing. I think it's a, it's, it's brand new technology and it's technology that, that, that gives us the ability to do what we're calling precision online to offline retargeting. Yeah. And so the way you described that to me was, because everybody, not everybody will be familiar with uh, retargeting, but that is essentially if you go to a website yeah. once and you just went to the Honda website. I you, did. It happened to me the, last week. I was on Home Depot's website. I had to get something for the kitchen. I went to Home Depot's website and... It followed you. And, and then I went and bought it, right? So the same day I went and got it, Home Depot's been... been uh, They've been following me online. I'm, so I'm, you see the home, the Home, home Depot. Depot everywhere I go. I go check the scores on ESPN home for the for the for the March Madness. Home Depot. And everybody up. is now a little attuned to. That. Yeah, and there's but there's a phenomenon called is. banner blindness now. People are people aren't just attuned to it. They're mm. they're getting immune to it. But that's right? why retargeting works so well because you actually were engaging with that brand, and so that familiarity kicks in. If it's a if it's a brand you've never seen before or mm -hmm. you you don't care about their product, yeah, that's where banner blindness is like peaked. Totally. But retargeting kind of started because of that. Right. But now you're doing a online to offline. Correct. Version. So we have the, we have the ability through our, um, and I'm going to show it to you in just a second. We'll do, I'll give you a little peek behind the curtain, but we have the ability to understand a household address based on a website visit. So what we're doing is if we can start to understand who the people, where, where the people are, are visiting you from, we can go to a car dealer, let's say, and we can tell them we can identify and target individuals that leave your website without a trace. And by the way, Google says that 90% of your website traffic leaves without a trace. Only about 10% engage, right? 10% hit your chat bot or click to call you or fill out a form. But the 9 out of 10 people that come gather information and leave, 
My question to a business is, wouldn't you want to, if you could, reach out and target that, that individual with a piece of direct mail if you had their information? And we've got very high gloss postcards that we're putting out with calls to action on those postcards. And we get those to Canada Post within 24 hours of a website visit. So if you th look at it from a user experience, I go to the Home Depot website. Sure. I, uh, but I don't buy anything. But you visited the paint, the paint section. Exactly. And then in a couple days, I get a, a postcard in the mail. That says 20% off Home Depot paint. Paint. Right. And you could probably get pretty specific with that if totally. you get really sophisticated. But so that's the, essentially that offline retargeting. Rather than seeing the banner, I'm actually seeing the postcard in, in the mail. Yeah. And, 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 the, and what drives it? And I won't tell you. I mean, it's, it's, it's AI, which is artificial intelligence. There's a lot of machine learning built into the technology. But if you look at today, location services are built into every device, including the laptops that are in front of us, including your phone and your, all your devices have location services built into them. Albert, go to your phone. Okay. Okay. And we'll give your listeners the click pass so they can use this as a good party trick and freak their friends out. Okay. Um, you said go to the settings? Go to settings. Yeah. yeah. And go to privacy. Privacy. And I think everybody should maybe learn this. Or maybe you don't want everybody to learn this. Then Listen, shutting it off. No, you have to have your location services on if you're gonna if you're gonna find anything. So you're not worried about people I'm shutting not this off. Okay. So I go to location services. Go to system services. System services. Where is this? Um Sorry, right at the top. Go to Privacy Location Services. Just click on Location yeah. Services. Right at the top. Click that. This one? Yep. Oh, okay. Go all the way down to System Services. Apple buries it pretty, wow. pretty deep. Whoa. Right at the man. bottom. Okay. And then go to uh, Significant Locations. Significant Locations. And I go on. Put that on. Yeah. And then... And I got a Touch ID. Yeah. Now, we didn't rehearse this, right? You and I? Yeah. Before this? Okay, well, don't... So, if there's anything crazy in there, like so if I look at source adult video, don't no. <laughs> so if I go down here and I see the place in Saskatoon, I'm going to try and find Saskatoon here. Man, you've been a lot of places, Saskatoon, <laughs> and it says 53 locations in Saskatoon. So if I click on that, all of those are all the geofences oh, okay. that you visited. What's the top one say there, Albert? It says Mystic Java. So that's the place that you pick up Wi-Fi most often. And there's a geofence around Mystic Java. Because that's Mystic Java is in our building. Right. In the in zoo in, in the zoo zoo's building. building. Right. So that's my work. So you pick that so you pick it up more often than you pick up your home at home. Barely though. I'm 84 visits uh, at work and 82 visits at home. So so you're running neck and neck. But does it actually say home there? It says home. When was when did you put your home address in your phone? So if I say home, I don't know. When did I do it? You didn't. Yeah. Apple Apple says the place that you pick up Wi-Fi oh. most often after 7 p.m. in the evening is your... Right. They'll, it's a good assumption to make that like at 3 in the morning for 82 times at right. probably home. Since the last time you updated your system. So that geofence that, that you're looking at on your phone yeah. is what we use. And our technology then takes over from there and has the ability to start drilling down and figuring out the, the, the home address okay. to send off that postcard. Man, that's really interesting. I, like, this is just like real life browser history, eh? Totally. That's freaky. Okay, yeah. so what's the name of the company? Then? Vadana, V-A-D-A-N-A-A. -A -A. And so, yeah, you. When I saw that, it has your name in it. It does. I know that's a little narcissistic. And so, but... and you do you have other business partners? I yeah, I do actually. We've got um, I've got partners in Ontario. 
Uh, and the cool thing about this is that we've just started. Now, we were, we were burning out shoe leather, banging on car dealers' doors and signing those guys up. And we've got quite a few car dealers signed up along with other businesses. We've now got traction with a lot of different agencies who want to take this technology and resell it um, to help their, their, current, their current clients. So someone like Zoo might want to use yeah. it for, for, their, uh, for their clients. So what's the ultimate game plan? Are you trying, do you want to sell out? Or I do. do want, okay. I do. I think, I think that when we get to, some, to a critical mass, which is, I mean, I'm not going to bore you with it, but mm-hmm. when you get to a certain number of customers, you're going to have people banging on your door to potentially look at buying the company. I know that you know, Cox Automotive out of Atlanta might look at this. Hearst Media might look at something like this. So yeah, we'd be interested in cutting it loose. But I, I want to. I want to spend. I'm not a young guy anymore. I want to spend the next probably two to three years really working this hard. And then if uh, you strike it rich, if we if we cut it loose, we cut it loose. If not, then we'll 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 start another project. But yeah, it's, is there anybody else doing this? No. So this is the uh, the pinnacle. Right yeah, here. this is this is this is. Uh, we're pioneers. We're disruptors. <laughs> right? Isn't that what you yeah. want to be? <laughs> Welcome to my industry. Where you, <laughs> the word disruptor almost like sends, like makes me kind of vomit now almost. Just the yeah. way that people say it. It's just like everybody's a disruptor. Yeah, everybody's we're, a disruptor. disruptors in coffee. We're, we're disruptors and we're influencers. Yeah. Right? Oh, man. Don't get me started on that. That could be another <laughs> podcast. Um, Dan, I do want to thank you. Like that was... It's been a lot of fun, yeah. man. Um, Jordan, do you feel like we covered everything? All right. He's giving me the thumbs up. Producer Jordan over there. <laughs> Thanks, Jordan. Okay, hey Dan, um, yeah, we'll have to do this again. Yeah, and check fun. in and see how you guys are doing. Awesome. Maybe. Thank you, Albert. Okay, take it easy.